0: Our theme verse has been 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his Wonderful light. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. We are a royal priesthood. Now, in the New Testament, we're kings and priests unto our God. We are a part of the kingdom of his light. We have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, brought into his light. And one of the reasons he's called us and chosen us and set us apart is that we might declare forth the praises of him. You know, in the Old Testament, it was the priest who would enter into the presence of God. It was a priest who would come into the Holy of Holies. It was always the priest. But I will tell you now, we are a royal priesthood, which means I have access and privilege to come right into the presence of the living God. We are a priest unto our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at that, that privilege we have of praise and worship and to glorify God. Let's stand together this morning for the reading of God's Word for our text today. While you are standing, let me just remind you, you saw the announcements, but very quickly, next week we start our life point classes again. If you have been coming to Faith Assembly of God, and we didn't do it through the month of July, so we should have a large class next Sunday morning. But at 10 o'clock, it's all about who we are at Faith Assembly of God, how you can get involved, how you can get plugged in. It's at the 10 o'clock hour, so you can all come and worship at 8.30 and just head right back there and just find out what's going on at Faith and how you can be a part of what God's doing right here. We call it our Life Point classes. Let's read the Bible, and let's look at 1 Chronicles chapter 13. David confirmed with each of his officers the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, "'If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of the brothers throughout the territories of Israel.'" and, and able also the priests and the Levites who are also with them in their towns and their pasture lands to come and join us and let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all the Israelites from the Shehor River in Egypt to the Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all the Israelites with him went to Bala and Judah, Cariath-Jerim, to bring up from him the ark of God of the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by my name. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, that you are here already with us today. When we came together in your name, you came with us. We carried with us and always the presence of the living God. God, there's power as we begin to release our praise unto you. There are two or three who are gathered together, and we have a great group today ready to enter into your presence to worship and praise you. I pray, God, as I bring your word, you'll open up our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us. I need your help. I ask you to help me again in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, represented the manifest presence of God. It's kind of a sad commentary in the verse I just read to you that it says, during the reign of King Saul, they never ever inquired of the ark. They didn't pay attention to it. They never went and looked at it. They never sought it out. It wasn't a big deal because Saul himself had gotten so far from God, he really didn't care about going and looking and being around the ark of the covenant. King David, though, is not satisfied. He says, the ark ought to be in Jerusalem, It ought to be where the capital is. It ought to be in the center of Israel. It ought to be in Jerusalem. I want us to gather together. I want us to gather all the people. He goes to Shehor River. He goes as close to the uh, Lebo, uh, Hamath, and he brings the people from all over. He says, we're going to bring the ark back in. He gets all the priests. He gets all the Levites ready, and let's bring the ark back into Jerusalem. Let's make it the center of our worship and our praise today. Now, for you guys that aren't real familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, let me kind of give you a little description of what it is. There's kind of a rendition of it on the screen, as you see before you. And uh, what you have is it was a box of acacia wood, and it was overlaid and covered in gold. On top of it, you see the two angels and their wings, the Bible said, did touch. And so the wings were there. Underneath, on the top of the Ark, was called the judgment seat, or the, it would become the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. Let me tell you what was inside the ark. Inside the ark was Aaron's rod that budded. There was a great disruption and revolt that broke out when the children of Israel were passing through the wilderness. And they were going to follow other leaders besides Aaron. They said, Aaron's not fit to lead us anymore. And so Moses said, bring out rods. And whichever rod buds, that is going to be the one we're going to follow and serve. And they brought out the 12 rods from the 12 tribes of Israel. And the only one that budded was Aaron's rod. That was one of the items placed within the Ark of the Covenant. You also had the tablets of the law. That God gave Moses when he was on top of Mount Sinai, representing the judgment of God. Aaron's rod represents authority. The the law, the tablets of the law represented the judgment of God or the justice of God or the law of God. It was there he received the law of government of how Israel would govern themselves and the laws they were to follow all of their days and so that was also in there. Also inside the ark was some manna that had been gathered up. It speaks of the provision of God. God is our provider and every day when they traveled throughout the wilderness God took care of them. He provided for them and so you had uh, some loaves of manna that were inside of that Ark of the Covenant. It was a golden pot filled with manna. Now, because the law is inside of here, inside the Ark of the Covenant, it was said that on top of the Ark was the judgment seat. But one day a year, it was called the Day of Atonement, and a goat would be sacrificed. And they would take the blood of that goat and they would pour it all over the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It would run down the sides of the Ark and the blood was sprinkled all over the Ark. Only the high priest could go in on the Holy of Holies on that one day of year. And on that day it was said that now the judgment seat becomes the mercy seat. How many know wherever the blood of Jesus Christ is applied, there is the mercy of Almighty God. It is the mercy seat now, all because of the blood covering. This ark, as I said, signified the manifest presence of God. It had to be central in Israel. It was, in the, it was in, the, in the middle of the camp in the wilderness. It would later be moved to Jerusalem. And there it was said that's where God dwelt, the manifest presence of Almighty God. Now let me tell you something right now. You can't put God inside of a box. There's no box that can contain Almighty God. In fact, the Word of God tells us that God is omnipresent. It's a theological term which literally means God is everywhere, all times, every time, God is everywhere. God is in the bar, God is in the crack houses, God is in the government buildings, God is in our schools, God is here today, God's presence is everywhere. You can't put God inside of a box. You can't put God inside of a church. You can't put God inside of a building. Uh, Solomon said he is too big for all that. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He, he is greater than any man-made structure there might ever be. God is everywhere at the same time. But th- there's a sense that God comes down in a powerful, majestic way, and his manifest presence come down, and he revealed himself to Israel in the Ark of the Covenants. He came with them in power and in might and authority. Now the Bible today says we are the temple of the living God and the glory of God dwells inside of us. Isn't that amazing? So when we talk, and then he goes on to say in Matthew where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What is he talking about? Well, he's everywhere all the time, all at the same time because he is omnipresent but his manifest presence comes when the believing church comes together and we begin to worship and praise and glorify God God comes down and reveals himself in power and in might and authority we call that the manifest presence of almighty God and that's exactly what's the Ark of the Covenant signified. This is where God is at. And as we worship the Lord, as we praise him, as we put him at the center of our lives and our worship, God inhabits the praises of his people. Or in the Old Testament, God inhabits the praises of Israel. It's where God comes and dwells, where his praises are lifted up. And what happens is, as we as a church, as we as a people, as you as an individual, begin to praise and glorify and worship God, we are setting up a throne room for God to be lifted up and enthroned and glorified in our midst. It's where God comes down and moves and activates his almighty presence, the manifest presence of God. Now, I read the account of David trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. In reality, it would take two attempts. We tried on two different occasions to bring the ark back into Jerusalem. The first attempt, it failed miserably. They could not get the ark back to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen is this morning, as we study these stories and look at these two attempts to bring the ark back in, we're going to begin to understand what does it take for us to experience the powerful, majestic, manifest presence of Almighty God and his power in our lives and his power in our church right here at Faith Assembly of God. So I want to give you three things that must be done. If you have your outlines or on the back of your bulletins, follow along with me as I teach you today. First of all, number one, the ark must be carried on the shoulders of the priest. The ark, the presence, must be born must be carried on the shoulders of the priest. Let's pick this story up with verse number seven. And they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart. And Uzzah, and Aiho were guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with song, and with harps and lyres and timbrels, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of the Kidron, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. And then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day the place is called Perez-Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in this house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. What a story. Now listen to me. Just Remember the story of David and Goliath and Saul's armor and Saul tries to put his armor over David so that he would go out and take Goliath just as Saul's armor would not work in spiritual battle, spiritual victory in taking down Goliath. Remember the Bible says that that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty to God to pulling down stronghold just as carnal weaponry will not work to bring spiritual victory carnal weaponry methodology will not work to bring in the presence of God. Our own man-made attempts to bring in worship, to usher in the presence of God, will not work, will not bring about spiritual worship. In fact, it says in John 4, true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth, period. Wow. David did not follow the clear instructions of the word of God. The Philistines, during the time of the Judges, had moved the Ark of the Covenant. Remember when they when they took the the, the, the sons of Eli took the Ark of the Covenant into battle, and they're defeated, and uh, Eli falls over and says, "The glory of God hath departed." And uh, then they bring the Ark back in. What do the Philistines do? They build a cart. They put the ark on top of the cart and they send it back to Jerusalem with a cow and the cow's pulling the ark all the way back. And so the Israelites think, you know what? We saw that work. They got the ark back to us. It came back into our camp. We'll go ahead and build a cart and we'll pull it and move it this way just like the Philistines did. Sounded great. Seems wonderful. The problem is God's word says don't do it that way. It says any time you move the ark, it's to be put in poles through rings and the priests carry the ark on their shoulders. Now notice a couple of things they did wrong this first time. Number one, there was no provision for the sacrifice. When you get to the second occurrence, They're going to offer a sacrifice. They're going to slaughter some animals. Then they're going to move the ark because the sacrifice has already been made. I will tell you something. Music and dancing is not enough. It is only so much emotion. Our worship is only possible through the sacrifice and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can dance and you can sing and you can shout and you can wave your arms and you can do whatever you want to do, but if you are not covered in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no access into his presence. The sacrifice first must be made and then our worship and praise can then go up to God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us access. Without the blood, there can be no worship. No worship. And then the second thing they disobeyed God in was simply this, the ark was always to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. Listen, God's presence is carried through his priesthood we are the carriers of the glory and the grace and the presence of God we are to show forth his praises in our life it is his light in us that the world of God sees and so it is through his people sanctified set apart by him called holy a chosen generation a royal priesthood a, a peculiar people these are the ones who show forth the praises of God and so it is always born on the shoulders of the priest or the priesthood he is the one who we bring glory, we bring his presence to the rest of the world. I can imagine the ark was heavy and somebody had the brilliant idea, you know what, we've got the wheel that's been invented. It's been a great invention all these years. Why not use wheels? Why not use carts? Why carry this heavy wooden box overlaid in gold, angels on the top? Why carry all this? It seems a whole lot easier Quicker, faster. Let's just use a cart. Ohio, Ohio's on one side. The word Ohio means brotherly. Ooze is on the other side. That name means strength. Follow me here. Our carts cannot be driven by the strength of man. Let me run that by you again. Our carts cannot be driven by the strength of man. The Bible says it is not by might, it is not by power, it is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're driving this ark and they're on either side, they're flanking the ark and the oxen stumbles and the ark begins to fall on Uzzah's side and Uzzah takes his hand and he tries to stop the ark from falling over. Now all their singing and all their rejoicing and all their shouting immediately turns to mourning. And the Bible says they are afraid of God. They are afraid of the presence of the Lord. They are afraid of just what has been done. Anything we do in our praise and worship that is not based on the pattern of God's word and the blood of Jesus Christ is just man-made works. We can crank up the music, we can spin the lights around, we can program every aspect of the service and ministry, but if Christ and the blood and the hearts of the priest is not right, we won't experience his presence and his power. It must be born on the shoulders of the priest. Second thing that we see very clearly is it must be sanctified by the blood. Turn, if you would, uh, to the second occurrence. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. Look at verse number one. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. He gets it right this time. Nobody, nobody but the Levites can carry the ark of God because the Lord shows them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister for Him before him forever. Okay. Levites only. Jump down to verse number 11. And David summons Zadok and Abiathar the priest and Uriah and Asiah and Joel and Shem, uh, Shemaiah and Elio and Amminadab and the Levites. He said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your family, fellow Levites, are to consecrate yourself. It says in the King James, you are to sanctify yourselves and bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to place it in the place I prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves or sanctified themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of God. God, Listen, if we are going to experience the presence of God, if we are going to experience his power and blessing in our life, our vessels must be sanctified. There's no way around that. Our vessels, our temples, our containers of the glory of God must be sanctified, must be consecrated. How are we sanctified? How are our vessels consecrated? In two ways. The Bible tells us that we are sanctified, first of all, by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what makes us holy, is the blood of Jesus. We can't make ourselves holy. I don't care how good you try to be, how nice you are, you cannot ever make yourself holy. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. We are holy because Jesus gave his life for us. We are holy because his blood flowed down Calvary. We are holy because we identify with what Jesus did and his blood comes in and cleanses me from every sin that I've ever done. He breaks the power of sin off of my life and I stand holy and clean and pure before him because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the sacrifices were made The priests, the Levites are sanctified, and now they are qualified to carry the presence of God. The second way we are sanctified is we are sanctified by the Word. We are sanctified by the Word. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. The Word of God renews our mind cleanses us, washes us, draws us into the presence of God. The word of God is powerful and quick. The word of God is our spiritual growth. Now the word sanctified literally means to be set apart or separated. So sanctified means that, that uh, we're saved by God, but we are in two ways. We are separated from sin, so we are separated From something, we are separated from sin, and so our heart is washed. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am set free from the power of sin over my life, and therefore there's a joyous, triumphant liberty knowing that I am a friend of God. His blood cleanses me. I come into His presence. I know Him. He knows me. And and I know that greater is He that's in me than He that's in the world. So I'm set apart from sin. And then I'm also set apart unto God, right? Now I am a vessel because I've been sanctified by his blood that God can use for his service and kingdom work right here on the earth. So it's two parts. I'm separated from sin and I'm separated unto God. You understand that? You understand this whole? The Lord did not die on the cross just to forgive. He died on the cross to make us holy. 1 Thessalonians 5:23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are set apart, we're made holy by God, we are called a holy nation, sanctified. Salvation is not the end of a Christian spiritual growth, it is just the beginning. And although we're declared holy at salvation, there is still much spiritual growth to be experienced. How do I grow spiritually? How do I become more and more like Jesus Christ? I get into the word of God. He says, sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth. And as I get into the word, as I live out the word, as I pour over the word, as I study the word, as I memorize the word, I I am being transformed by the renewing of my mind. So that now I'm more like Jesus than I was the day I was saved. Now positionally, I'm immediately holy because I'm covered by his blood. But it is also progressive in that I'm always growing and becoming more and more like him. As we submit to the Holy Spirit and the word of God, we are changed. We become more like Jesus and we begin to exhibit what the Bible calls the fruits of the Spirit. And it becomes very evident in our lives. We identify with Christ. I identify what Christ did for me. I, I am crucified with Christ. I have been buried with Christ. I have been raised with him to walk in newness of life. And now it says in Ephesians now I am seated with him in heavenly places, what? Far above all this world. Mm, 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 mm. Before they could ever proceed with the ark, the bloody sacrifice had to be offered. And they offer sacrifices. And the, the, first the priests and Levites consecrate themselves and there are sacrifices offered. And then they would take a few steps and they would sacrifice another animal, kill another animal, take a few more steps with the ark, kill another animal, sacrifice another animal, take a few more steps, kill another animal. And it becomes a bloody trail all the way back from the house of Obed-Edom all the way into the city of Jerusalem because it is always by the blood we enter into the presence of the living God by the blood, by his sacrifice because of what Jesus did. I have access today. Mm. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> Hebrews 10 and verse number 19. Therefore, brothers, since we are, have confidence to enter the most holy place by what? The blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. Open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest Over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Hallelujah. I have access. All because of what Jesus Christ did. I can come into the Holy of Holies when Christ hung on the cross and said, It is finished. That veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, and now I can come into God's presence anytime, morning, noon, or night. Why? Because I am covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. I thought about Uzzah. Why does Uzzah reach out? Why does he touch the ark? follow me here. Because he had become very familiar with the holy thing and took it for granted. Now here's what you may not realize. The ark up till this point had been kept in the house of Uzzah's father, Abinadab. Abinadab lived in Cariath-Jerim. Uzzah grew up with the ark in his house. It is possible to become so lax And so comfortable, we miss a holiness and reverential fear for who God is. We come in, we go through the motions, we got our routine, we got our agendas. It's the same old, same old every day. And we can become very comfortable and lax and familiar with the things of Almighty God. And we lose the awesomeness of His presence. I'm going to get out. Pastor's going a little long today. He's. When are we going to eat? Where's the restaurant at? Where are we heading to? What are we doing? What's going on? Sometimes we just need to stop and take our shoes off because God is saying, this is holy ground. Amen. We don't take it lightly, granted, casually. We don't treat God's word casually. And when we're singing and praising and glorifying the Lord, we don't yawn and say, when is this song ever going to end? I'm focused on God. I'm loving God. I'm worshiping God. You can't expect God to move in our lives with power in his presence if we entertain gossip, division, lust, unforgiveness, filthy speech because we are acting just like the world. There has to be a sense of the holiness of Almighty God. And it's the same old, same old. We are called to holiness. Worship is always a matter of the heart. It was said concerning David, the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And I will tell you, God today, it says in John 4, seeking worshipers. He is seeking men and women who have a heart after God who will worship him, who are sanctified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have said goodbye to this world and hello to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you may not be able to sing well, You may not have a lot of moves down, be able to dance, but God sees the heart. If we're going to see the presence and awesomeness and glory of God, we must first be sanctified. Everybody say that word with me, sanctified. It's a good word. It's a good word. A lot of people have forgotten that word along the way. Sanctified, made holy by the blood. Jesus Christ. First of all, must be born on the shoulders of his priesthood. Second, we must be sanctified. And listen, number three, they entered in by their praise. Now, by the way, they they had to, because Uzzah's killed, they've got to park the ark right where it falls down almost. And they were located in front of the house of a man by the name of Obed Edom. Obed Edom. And so they put the ark of the covenant in there in that house. And uh, the Bible says God blessed the house because of the presence of God. Awesome statement. Number three, it must be entered in by our praise. Look, Let's pick up the verse in verse number 16. And David told the Levite, the leaders of the Levites, to appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. Jump down to verse number 26. And it says, because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and as were the singers and Keneath who was in charge of the singing in the choirs. David also wore linen ephod Also all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of the ram's horn, and trumpets of cymbals, and the playing of lyres and harps. Verse 29. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David. Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from the window, and when she saw the king dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Now, I want you to notice something. The first time they're going to move the Ark, what does the Bible say in 1 Chronicles 13? It says, or, 2nd Chron- or 1 Chronicles 13. It says they were singing and they were dancing and they were playing on all their instruments. What does it say in chapter 15 when they got ready to bring up the ark? They were singing, they were dancing, they were playing all of their instruments. Probably the songs were the same might have been the very same musical selection for both movements of the ark, only this time it was different. This time the sacrifice had been made, the blood had been spilt, and now it is carried on the shoulder's priest. And it describes the incredible joy that happens as they are bringing back the presence of God into Jerusalem. It says in Psalm 1611, you fill me with joy and in your presence, Remember the Ark of the Covenant? Signifying the presence of God. And your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There is joy in being able to carry the presence of God in our lives. We ought to be the most excited, happy, joyful people in the entire world. Why? Because I got Jesus. He lives inside of me. Singing, shouting, Dancing. Knowing and serving God is the most exciting, joy-filled life you can ever know. I've got the creator of the universe. He dwells in me. Hallelujah. Wow. R.A. Tori makes this statement. There is more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. He says I have tried them both. Wow. More joy in Jesus in one day than 365 other days. Some say, well, pastor, you know what? I've got the joy. It's in my heart, and I, God knows I love them. I just kind of keep it right there. Listen, those same men who are so quiet in church on Sunday morning and refuse to sing or smile or even tap their toe are the same ones who won't hesitate at a football game to jump up off their couches and say, go Ohio State. Go Cincinnati. And when a touchdown is scored, we go nuts. But we'll come into church. And we'll fold our arms. And we say, I dare you to move me. If it's real joy, listen to me, if it's real joy, joy has got to be expressed. It's got to come out. And he instructs the people. He says, we're moving the ark. We're moving the presence. I want you singing. I want you dancing. I want you playing instrument. I want you going nuts. Because the presence of God is coming back into the capital, into the holy city, into Jerusalem. Listen to Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound, the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Seven times, listen to me, seven times in the book, in the Psalms, it says, Make a joyful noise. It can also be translated shout, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Seven times, we, his people, are commanded to shout and get excited and make a joyful noise. And I will tell you, no joy can compare to the joy of knowing the Lord. And so we as his church, we as the carrier of God's presence, should use every opportunity to express that joy to him. You see, worship, when you boil it all down, worship is my external, visible expression of my love for God. And do we love God or not? Why are we so ashamed or embarrassed of expressing that love and praise and worship to God? It was uh, many years ago now, but I, I remember on one occasion I went to pick up my first wife, Tanya, at the airport. and She had just flown in. She'd been out of town for a week. And I picked her up at the airport and... Uh, I grabbed her bags, and I threw them in the trunk, opened her door, went around and jumped on my side, jumped in the car, and we proceeded to leave. And I was glad to see her, been a week, really glad to see her. And I I began to try to talk to her, and I get this icy cold stare and cold shoulder. And I've got my surprise for her waiting at home, later that day, but she wanted me to kiss her in the airport in front of others. And being a crotchy old, staunch German, we don't show emotion, and we never kiss in public. I will tell you, after that day, from that day on, the first thing I do is when they fly in, whether it was Tanya then or Jeannie now, first thing I do when they come across that concourse, I throw my arms around them. I place a big kiss on her lips and say, Honey, it's good to see you again. I learned. It took me one time, one time, and I learned. A secret love for God is to be questioned. Is it really love at all? Love must be expressed. By its very nature, love must be expressed. Now let me tell you something. Let me share a little story with you. Not all will be thrilled with your praise and worship that you will choose to enter into. Turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I've got to hurry. Verse 16. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the da- Michelle, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings, fellowship offerings. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisin to each person in the whole crowd of Israel, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned to his home to bless his household, Michelle, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. This robing in the sight of the slave girls, by the way, he, wasn't, he just took off his outer kingly garments and danced with the people robed in the sight of his slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michelle, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from the house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you've spoken of, I will be held in honor. And Michelle, daughter of Saul, listen to this, had no children the day of her death. David, you're not acting like the king. Kings don't act like that. They throw their chests back. They walk with a certain gait. They have their royal robes over their backs. For you to humble yourself and take up those robes of royalty, for you to dance and sing and twirl, and like everybody else on the streets, is very undignified. Listen to me, I wanna tell you something. Those who refuse to participate in worship usually are critical of those who do. One of the things you see is Michelle, Michelle, whatever, how you ever pronounce her name, Michelle, the Bible says all of Israel gathered together when it came time to move the ark. But there's one person who is conspicuously absent. It was Mishah, the wife of David. She was not in the procession. Had she been in that procession, maybe by the time she got to Jerusalem, she might have been dancing and leaping and singing herself. But she is located inside the palace, relaxing, drinking her southern sweet tea, looking out the window and judging everything that David is doing. She wasn't even there. She was on the outside looking in. And while she was critical, everybody else in Israel is doing what? Enjoying the presence of the Lord. Criticism at faith usually comes from non-participants. And I like David's reply. He says, you know what? You ain't seen nothing yet. David doesn't care what others think, only what God thinks. Now, I, I I gotta finish. The Bible says Michal was barren the rest of her life. She had no children from that day on. One of two things were possibilities. Number one, either the breach before David and Michal was so great, they were never intimate again. Could have been a possibility. And number two, it's, God, by his hand of judgment, simply closed up her womb. Could have been either one. The Bible doesn't tell us why she never had children from that day on. But listen to me, and I want you to get this, and I'm reading it to you. Those who fail to worship forfeit intimacy with God. And the result is always spiritual barrenness. Without the freedom of praise and worship and expressing our love to God, we become cold and perfunctory and barren. Don't be guilty of sitting in the window judging the worshipers. If what we do in church is in the word, don't criticize it. If you don't understand it, leave it alone. If you come in here, we're all raising our hands and getting excited, don't judge that. It's in the Bible. Lift up your hands, all ye people. Lift up clean hands before God. If everybody in church is clapping their hands like crazy, don't judge it. The Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people. If we're in faith and we're shouting and we're shouting, you don't want to shout, don't shout. But don't criticize it. Don't judge it. Shout unto God. you have a choice you can be a David or you can be like Mishaw. you can be a David with a heart after God you can go for it you can let it loose go for it with all your might or you can sit around and say this is the nuttiest, craziest church I have been in in my entire life but you run the risk of spiritual barrenness in your life let's usher in the presence of the Lord Let's usher it in with clean hands and a pure heart. Let's worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. For wherever the ark is, there comes the blessing. The blessing of God comes wherever we find the ark. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.